Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Your Time with James Sweetman. Thank you for joining me. Um, For the first time in a few weeks, I'm joined by a guest and a special guest at that, Eileen Hopkins. Let me give you a little background on Eileen before we delve into what I know will be a great conversation. Eileen Hopkins is an experienced psychotherapist, life career and public speaking coach and certified trainer. Having worked in nursing and nurse management for many years, Eileen has a passion for emotional health, self-care, resilience, personal development, pain management, education, and impairing change. She's no stranger to accolades and awards. She received the Coach of the Year Highly Recommended Award in 2020, and she was a finalist in the Toastmasters International Speech Contest only last month. A principle at the heart of Eileen's work is that she believes that everyone has the potential to live a happy and fulfilled life, despite the obstacles life can throw our way. And her mission is to make a difference one person at a time. Eileen, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining me this week. Thanks very much, James. Delighted to be here. Oh, I know that phrase or that, that mission, as you phrase it, to make a difference one person at a time. It, 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 it really struck me when I was, when I was thinking of, of, our, of our chat today. I was reminded of, um, I think it's a, it's a parable or a story by Leo Tolstoy, where he opens with a question that says, you know, who's the most important person? And at the, uh, at the end of his little story or fable, he said, the most important person is the person across from you or sitting across from you. And, and that really struck me when I was thinking of, of your, your statement there about making a difference one person at a time, because that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It is. And do you know, it came to me, it was, I was working on what I wanted my, my vision to be. And what it came to me was I was doing some group work with mm. one of the charities and at the beginning, in my very experienced stance, I suppose, I used to go in and think I wanted everybody in the room to get what I was saying. And, yes. to, yeah. and I suddenly reached the point where I said, no, if one person in here takes even one thing from what I'm saying, mm. that's made a difference to them. Yes. Yes. And then sometimes we'll never know what they take from it or it might not be what we thought it would be or, you know, they'll receive it based on where they're at. If our intention in, in delivering it is, is yeah. positive. Yeah. Or the it, beauty is when you hear from them two or three years later, have mm, they commented on something you said? And you kind yeah. Of, and then you sort of forget you ever said it. So. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I know we're going to have a great chat, um, Eileen, because there's there's many little themes and topics that we're going to delve into from fear of change or your work in, in um, compassionate inquiry, which is an area that fascinates me. Um, and also, of course, as an expert public speaker and prize winning Toastmaster, I'm not letting you go without a few public speaking tips either. I'm an expert public speaker. I'm a little bit um, unsure of you giving me that title, but anyway. You're put it this way. I know recently in the competition you were in, you got to the final, the top six out of 200 clubs and about four and a half thousand members. So you're doing many things right in that area. And if you think of it, so many people, the thoughts of presentations or public speaking, you know, has them quaking in their boots. 
Um, so yeah, you're you're ahead of the game on that one. But we'll we'll get to that. Maybe 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 we'll just start with with sharing, or I invite you to share a little bit of your own journey, Eileen, because I know you started off in, in nursing many years ago. Yeah, I I was in nursing for over thirty years, mm. even though I'm still twenty one. Oh uh, goodness, okay. <laughs> um, and, I worked, I trained in general, I also trained in sick children's. Majority of my work was in sick children's nursing. Um, mm. While I, I loved my work, then I went on wanting to go up the ladder and my last 10, 12 years were in nurse management. Mm-hmm. And I began to realise that I was getting, I, wasn't, I was finding my work quite frustrating. It was budgets, paperwork, meetings, and I had very little patient contact. And I think on reflection, I'd say I, I, I was very close to burnout. Right. And I had really bad back pain. And in 2015, made the decision to take early retirement mm-hmm. because of that. And had a few months of, poor me, what am I going to do? Yeah. Like, it's awful. And I started going to a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day, I think she got, well, I wouldn't say she got frustrated with me, but I was kind of my, on my poor me road. And she said, Eileen, there's so much you could do. Mm-hmm. She said, look, you know, she said, look at the way you know your strength is with people. You could, you know, she could, you could become a therapist. You could become a coach. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And I went home that day and I thought, she was very direct. Don't really like <laughs> <laughs> but the first thing I did was I googled life coaching. Right. I knew a little bit about it, but not a lot. And I googled it, and I kind of thought, "Oh, I like that." So I went online to see what courses were available. And as it happens, the Irish Life Coach Institute, which is your own alma mater. Oh yes, almost twenty years ago, incredibly. Oh. Yeah. So weren't they starting their course two days later? Oh. So I reached out and. I was on that course. Yes. It was quite impulsive, but one of the best decisions I ever made. Yeah. And yeah, so that's that part. Will I keep going, James? Oh, I always think I'm, you know, it's fascinating when we think of the, you know, it's almost like the sliding doors moments. Yeah. Um, And um, I remember for me, it was something similar with the life coaching program back, as I say, it's 20 odd years ago. And, um, applying to do one that was based in the UK and that just wasn't working. You know, it just wasn't falling into place and a lot of it was email based and no, it didn't work. And then the ILI or whatever it was called before that um, contacted and it was to be an evening course, but they didn't have any evening slots available or they weren't going to run it in the evening. They were only going to do it over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of thinking that, gosh, maybe that, you know, I'd be giving up my weekends or one weekend a month for eight months or whatever it was. And there was that moment of, will I say yes or will I say no? But something in me sort of said, no, give it a go. And probably one of the top three decisions I've ever had made in my life because it opened up so many other doors afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. it was life yeah, because it's not, I think the, what, what people don't realise maybe with those coaching programmes is whilst you come out of it with a certificate, you, you, you get a huge amount of personal development from it as well because you're on the receiving end of so much coaching through it. It's, um, it's not just the, 
the, being the practitioner, you're also the client with it too. And, um, and that's one of the, the, the big benefits. If we think about, say, and I suppose this is a topic that, uh, that for, for, for anyone working in the coaching space will have come across, and, and even for, for us as, as, as people, we're, we're well aware of it, which is around you know, fear of change. And, and I know a few weeks ago, you shared on, on social media a piece around why we maybe stay in situations that are no longer uh, working. And um, we can all relate to that. I know I can. Um, and, and it's something that I just love to, to touch on here because I think it's relevant to so many, many people. Yeah. yeah. I suppose for myself personally, there was, I, I started nursing and I was going to nurse until I retired at 65 yes. or whatever it was going to be. And even when I looked at that change, at, you know, even nursing, like it mm. was, it wasn't, there is as exactly, it's the fear, but mm. it's not just the fear for yourself. It's the fear of what other people will say or mm. think. And I'm finding that so much, I'm sure you are too, James, with clients, mm. like it's, you know, part of them, maybe their, their gut instinct is that it's time for a change, but it's that war, it's not even the fear of change. A lot of it is the fear of what other people will think or say. Yes, yes. You know, and yeah, it's, I think that's part of our defense mechanism in some respects. It's like we want to feel safe, you know, and here, of course, it's not just physical safety, it's that psychological safety and, you know, the identity stuff, you know, maybe, you know, people are used to seeing me a certain way or if it's yeah. a different title on a business card or who am I? You know, the, the big questions that that come into play. I can certainly relate to that when I left the corporate world. Um, you know, you put on an identity when you put on the suit and the tie. Um, and then it's the fear of how will other people view me? Will they think I'm mad? Um, I think I still get those, those thoughts every so often, Eileen. I'm not sure it goes away. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like I remember the first day I went into the ILI, it was in the mm. Tala, and everybody had to introduce themselves. I wasn't where I had left nursing at that stage. Mm. And uh, everybody was like, I'm a counsellor, I'm a HR manager, I'm a whatever, all the different roles. Mm. And I didn't want it to come to me because I felt I had no role. I felt that I had lost my that that identity. Mm. And you know, I must say, eight months later, I definitely had an identity. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. It's 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 how would I describe it? And I think it's it's probably probably more pertinent now than it ever was because of COVID stuff, where you know, people's normal routines and comfort zones have been upended in many regards and therefore much more is up for discussion and um, yeah, and contemplation. I, yeah, and I'm finding the amount of people who are coming to me now who are really realising how miserable they are in their job. And yeah. it's like, if you know, if you think of it, you know, example, when you were in the corporate world, you were probably commuting into town, mm. maybe listening to your music on the way in, whatever. You were in the office with other people. You'd have a bit of fun, a bit of crack. Um, lunchtime, maybe go out, nip into town, wherever. 
And when all those little bits are stripped away and all that's left is their job, Mm. people are then realising, this is not what I want. And that's where the change is coming in and they're looking at the change, you know? Yeah, yeah. And quality of life and fulfilment from life. And... you know, the last year, the last 15 months have been so challenging. But if we were to look for a silver lining, I would see the, you know, that that heightened awareness or awakening um, and maybe looking to see where we have choices as um, uh, as a plus. Um, and I see it with my clients as well, you know, where they are maybe reassessing what's important to them and therefore how can their how can how they're spending their time and where they're devoting their energy, how can that be a little bit more aligned to their own values or what lights them up? Yeah. Uh, and that's a healthy conversation. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and I always, how would I say it? I always um, uh, frame that as well by saying we're always doing our best. You know, people are doing their best. I think it's that Maya Angelou quote you know people do their best with the knowledge and the awareness and the resources at their disposal um, James I don't know how you remember all these quotes <laughs> I think I remember probably about three or four. Oh goodness how do I remember them I I think because well there's probably maybe 10 or 15 that really speak to my soul you know that's one of them and and they're ones that I would share with clients when it's appropriate. So yeah. it's a bit like a Rolodex of, of mm-hmm. some of them. Um, and, but, but they're really ones that, that, that I gravitate towards as well because they've really spoken to me. So they're like, they're, they're words, they become a bit, um, they, they become engraved on my soul almost, uh, little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. Um, and my Angelou has several of them. So, well, my um, Angelou is one that really resonates with me is people will forget what you said. Mm-hmm. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yes, and I agree. hundred percent. Oh, it's just, it's so yeah. true. It is so true. And that's the power of what, it's the power of quotes where, mm. you know, you're communicating in, in, as I would phrase it, like a universal truth. Um, and communicate it in such an impactful way or in the fewest words possible. You know, there's, it's, it's the wisest way of saying it. But for me, the, the, the quotes that resonate are, are, how would I say it? It's almost like I knew this, but I didn't have the words to express it. Mm. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's a truth. <laughs> and of course, we have the wise. The other quote, I think it comes from the Bible. I, you know, the truth will set you free. Yeah. Um, so that uh, that sits in. Of course, you had you'd spoken there about your journey into life coaching, but you're also a qualified psychotherapist. Do you yes. find that that's a powerful combination, or do you work with very clear boundaries between the two of them, or or even say if clients contact you with an issue or a challenge? You know, is it something bespoke then that you're offering them a combination of both? How, how do you find the, the synergies there? There are a lot of mm. synergies. There there's a lot of overlap. But what, what I, the interesting thing, what I've noticed is a lot of people will reach out to me looking for life coaching. But when we're having our introductory chat, it becomes a lot clearer that it's actually psychotherapy. Right. That they're looking for. And I think even now, there's still uh, going to a life coach is more acceptable than mm. going 
to a psychotherapist. Mm. So there's, there is, on that part of it, there is that. But um, yeah, there is an overlap. But what I normally at the beginning, I'll always say to clients, you know, I have both. And of course, the compassionate inquiry. Yes. And, you know, I... I, you know, we contract for whatever they're looking for. Yes. Like what I will always say, if there's a time that say they're looking for psychotherapy, if there's a time that maybe I feel a coaching approach to something might help, I will go there with your permission, but I will mm. always name it to you. I will always say, actually, we're moving now to coaching. Are you okay with that? Mm. So mm. yes, it's, there are boundaries, but there are big overlaps. Yeah, yeah. I think they complement each other. And I think it was really the reason why I went and did the psychotherapy training, because my the person I was going to for coaching at that time was also a psychotherapist. And I began to see how much further I could take somebody yes. with having the psychotherapy. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can see where it, it just widens your service offering. Yeah. You know, it's it's more. It, it's sometimes I'll use the analogy of like um, you know a, a golf bag and the golf clubs. You've just got a whole range of tools there to use yeah. in the in the appropriate scenario. But there's a lovely analogy, James. When I did my psychotherapy training mm. in first year, there was this lecturer. And he said, it's you, as in the person sitting across from your client. And metaphorically, you'll have a box on your right with all your life experiences. And metaphorically, you'll have a box on your left with all your learnings. But it's you that the person sees. You might dip in and pull something out of one box or the other. But it's you that's in front of the client. Um, and I love that. I love that too. It sort of really loops back to making a difference one person at a time. Yeah. But it's, it's, you're right, because I think the, you know, whilst people can do the same courses and, you know, similar experiences, but no one brings the unique combination of, how would I say it, expertise, experience. And life experience. Uh, and life experience yeah. and, and personality into it that will always keep the the offering unique yes and, and what what I find particularly powerful is um, um in this what do you call it healing profession or coaching um scenario it's also the space that you create between the two of you or or around you um in, in which the, the the conversation takes place um and yes. that's something that I've been I suppose more aware of in recent times. It's 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 creating the space where the client can feel safe initially, um, but also comfortable and how would I say, particularly wearing my coaching hat, because I don't have the psychotherapy hat, um, but wearing the coaching hat is like where you believe in them almost before they believe in themselves. And that's it also as you see in their potential and yeah. you know, when, they, when and it's helping, empowering them to get to the place where they'll see. Yes, yes. It's almost like if you go back to what you were mentioning earlier with the with the direct input yeah. you got in relation to, well, I think you could do anything. You could do this, this and this. Sometimes we need those little prods as well, or I know yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, like I remember at the time thinking, oh, that was a bit harsh. But like, 
you know, to this day, I thank her so much for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's, I won't call it tough love. That's too strong a phrase. But you, you've touched, you touch, although I know sometimes I need a bit of tough love. I mean, I've, I've not trained as a psychotherapist, but I, I'm not sure, was I saying it to you before we came on? I probably was, where in the last six months now, totally, like I've been seeing a psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been phenomenal, phenomenal, you know. But do you know what's really important there, James, is talking about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for us to share that that we are doing that, that Mm -hmm. it's those sort of conversations that reduce the stigma. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Like, say, 20 years ago, when I started coaching, people didn't speak about it too much. It wasn't in the vernacular, you know, it was what the hell is this, you know, Um, whereas now it's people are much more aware of it. I was reading recently, I think, where, you know, the coaching profession is one of the fastest growing professions um, with, with so many people moving into that space. Um, and, and in coaching, like we've, you know, I've spoken to coaches like they're training or in the early yeah. days, I said, don't ever underestimate the difference you can make mm. by sitting with somebody, by listening to them, by giving them that space. Yeah. Yeah, you know, don't yeah. Ever underestimate it. I agree, and that's that goes to the heart of it. It's a neutral, yeah. non-judgmental, confidential space where someone can just feel listened to. Yeah. Um, One thing I say to my clients when when they come to me the first day, you come here not to meet me. You come here to meet yourself. Oh, that is so true. I love that. Yeah, and I like to provide a space where you won't be criticized. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. And I know that's certainly how I felt as well. Like when, when I attend many different professionals, yeah. <laughs> but also um, uh, my own psychotherapist where, you know, sometimes I'm just talking, you know, and, and on the surface, mm. he doesn't seem to be doing a huge amount, but he's holding the space for me to talk and to get it out and to, to move towards a little bit more clarity when you almost hear yourself speak. Yeah, yeah. It's been heard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The um, You touched on it earlier, and I know it's something that's also on your website, which reminds me, Eileen, we better, we've been chatting for 20 minutes, I better give out your contact details. That's what happens when we get absorbed in the conversation. Because your website is EileenHopkins.ie. Um, uh, on Instagram, it's eHopkinsTherapyCoach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you're on LinkedIn, of course, as well, uh, Eileen Hopkins, and then yes to Facebook as well. Yes, I yeah. am. As well, yeah. um, and Twitter, uh, not so much. Frankly, <laughs> I always think we can't be on everything. I'm a bit challenged with all this social media thing. I need a manager to manage all my social media. Anybody <laughs> wants the challenge? Oh, I have a few recommendations there as well, but what I found interestingly in recent times is that um, um, and, and it sort of naturally evolved where say for me LinkedIn is is probably the main one um, yeah. um, but I, I still view that view that with sort of the business hat on 
Um, whereas Instagram is the personal, the fun, the behind the scenes one. Um, that yeah, and like what I love what you do on Instagram is say before your podcast, you you have a little one or two minutes on mm. Instagram to, and I think that's a really good way of letting people know what you're doing. You yeah, a, li- a little snippet into yeah. it because you know we're we're surrounded by media, and sometimes yeah. I think I'm in the business of media production, Eileen, as opposed to coaching and training and speaking. But yeah. I, but I think if if you if you enjoy it, fine. If not then I try to outsource it. But um, uh, that's, that's for another day and another Absolutely. conversation. You, I know it's on your website and, and that's where I came across it. And it was, um, it was something that I didn't realize you had, but I know, and I suspect it really complements your work, is compassionate inquiry. And it was something that I'd not really come across before, but I know you're one of the first people or the first person in this country to qualify as a compassionate inquiry practitioner. So maybe tell us a bit about that. How did it come about? What does it involve? Yeah, well, how it came about was in June 18, I went to a two-day event in Cork with Gabor Matty. Mm-hmm. And I was really drawn to it because I, I knew a little bit about him and his work with trauma, but not an awful lot. So I went down there and I, I got so much out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who doesn't know Gabor Mate, he's a physician. He's a retired physician. He's had many years of practice. He's worked a lot in Vancouver's downtown uh, Eastside with people with drug addiction and mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so... At that time, he was given the pres- two-day presentation, which was just amazing. And I learned so much about me more than anything else. Wow. That. And then I saw, I was off, obviously on his email list, and then they were announced in, at the end of 18, they were doing compassionate inquiry training. And again, to tell you how impulsive I am, I was in the middle of my second year, going into my third year of my degree. Mm-hmm. And I take on this, which is 240 hours of practice. <laughs> my goodness. Years, okay. 25 case studies. Um, but honestly, it was amazing. And just to say a little bit about what it is, it's, it's, mm. it is a psychotherapeutic approach, which he has developed. And it's helping to reveal what lies beneath um, what, what the world sees of us, you know? And in, in his own words, Gabor Mate says that the purpose of compassionate inquiry is to drill down to the core stories that people tell themselves and to get them to see what story they're telling themselves unconsciously, what the beliefs are, mm-hmm. where they came from, and to guide them to the possibility of letting go of some of these stories. And I, you know, that's exactly that's it in a nutshell, James. It's, and that's powerful. Oh, it's totally. And like, honestly, it has so enhanced my whole approach. Mm. Like, you know, I would really do just pure CI, as I call it, compassion. Yeah. But it's very much integrated into my overall approach, and yeah. it's so simple, but it's transformative. It's back to the listening space. Yeah, um, allowing people to connect with their own wisdom, which is, you know, I I always, I always open client sessions with, you know, you're you're the expert in being you, so like no one knows you better than you know you, um, but we sort of go digging and excavating together, as it were. 
Yeah, and it's digging and excavating and looking at the hidden assumptions, mm. the implicit memories, and you know, the the unconscious process. Yeah. Bring, bringing it into the light, Eileen, yeah. is, is how I tend to view it because then you can see it for what it is. Um, and there's often so much relief for a person bringing it into the light yeah. and to understand and go, oh. And I and I know I know for me that yeah it's bringing it into the light and then you feel lighter yeah. and for me as as the client in in, um, in in those scenarios I will either laugh or I will cry yeah that's the evidence of something having shifted I will either be laughing at myself in a compassionate way or you know why are you doing this or there will be tears of release. Yeah, lots of tears for me, I have to say, doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always remember years ago working with a coach, one of the first coaches I worked with, you know, and when we'd sit down and she'd bring out a box of Kleenex tissues and then she'd take them off the table and she'd bring out uh, the box of the man-sized ones. <laughs> James, you'll need the man-sized box of tissues here. <laughs> well, my therapist, who shall remain unnamed, but no doubt he will hear this, I'm always giving out to him that he doesn't have good quality tissues. I think good quality tissues in our work are essential. <laughs> For as Oprah would phrase it, the messy crying. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's it, exactly. But I think, I, I think it's, um, I just say, it's good to have those conversations and to acknowledge it because I know for me, one of the biggest learnings last year was putting my hand up and saying, I need a little bit of help and I need a little bit of support. And going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, whether it's fear of change or fear of how would other people view me, I ran the pattern that if I'm someone who does podcasts and has worked in the space of personal development, let's say for 20 years, and I have so many tools and techniques at my disposal. I have many things in the box on the left-hand side, as it were, Eileen. Yeah. But they, I, I, it, it, I was still stuck, you know, and, and, and I didn't have within my own remit, as it were, the ability to um, uh, help myself move forward. Um, and but it's having the courage to recognize that, yeah, James. Yeah. I think that's... You know, it's it's when a client comes in to me in the beginning or reaches out, the first thing I do is I acknowledge their courage. Yes. And I never want that to sound patronizing to them, but it's a yeah. big decision to reach out. Yeah, it is. Or for therapy. It is. It is. And that's so right to acknowledge it yeah, because it is courage. Um, and, yeah. and, and I know I, I speak about courage a little bit in different workshops and things, but people often associate courage, I think, with like big heroic deeds and, you know, the, um, how would I say it, you know, being applauded for bravery. But really, it's about an internal decision that we make to step into the unknown. For me, that's what courage is. And it's the courage to meet yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gosh, there's depth to that one. Oh, gosh, we could keep going with the yeah. <laughs> self-awareness pieces, but I, um, yeah. um, I do want to speak to you about public speaking as well, because when I think of you, Eileen, I do think of public speaker extraordinaire. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I do. And I know you're a real advocate of Toastmasters and 
um, as I said earlier, you know, it was only a week or two back that you were in the top six of District 71, which I think covers Ireland and the UK, if I'm right, 200 clubs, four and a half thousand members, and you were in the top six. And of course, you would have gone through several layers of competition to get to the final. Uh, so congratulations on that to start with. Um, and tell me a bit about Toastmasters and your, your love of Toastmasters. Yeah, well, I suppose to take it a step back, mm. Um, when I was 12, I was in first year in secondary school mm. and I was, the nuns must have entered me for some, I talked the whole time. I was always yeah. a for talking, but they must have seen something in the talk. So it was this debating contest and I, it was in Rochford Bridge. It's the only time I've ever been there in my life. And I, I won- know that, that's in Westmead, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I read the signpost for it. Mm. Yeah. But Anyway, I won the award and it was a massive big trophy for the best speaker. Mm-hmm. But I came home that night and it was never... Now, this isn't a criticism because this was life as it was then. It was never acknowledged afterwards. Like, my, my parents had four other kids smaller than me, loads going on. Do you know? And so I never spoke publicly again. Mm. And I think I got a subconscious message in some way. So then when I did the life coaching course and I always attributed to one of the lecturers, Owen McCabe. Owen is a Toastmaster. And I remember having a chat with him one day and saying, oh, it's something I'd love to do. And he told me, he introduced me to what Toastmasters was. Mm -hmm. So it took me a few months. So in, in April 17, I went to my first Toastmasters meeting I snuck into the back of the room, kept my head down, probably held my breath for the full <laughs> hour and hoped nobody would see me. Mm-hmm. So that was the start. A year later, I won my first contest. Wow. And what is Toastmasters? It's where, like, we can all be a competent speaker, but there's a difference between being a competent speaker and a competent communicator and getting your message across in a way you know, that it's knowing your audience, mm. you, know, you know, and it's all the stuff. And James, you could talk forever about this. I feel I'm not the expert. The, the, ir- the irony, I could talk forever on it. There you go. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, what I've got from Toastmasters in that time is recognising something that I love. Mm. But... And I say it very tentatively, but that I realize I'm quite good at. Yeah. And I find it very hard to acknowledge on it that I'm good at. But yeah, and you know, it what what I got from it was mentoring. I, you know, everybody who's there is there to help and encourage each other. Mm. And honestly, over the years, I wouldn't have got to where I got in Toastmasters if it wasn't for the support, for the mentoring, for the encouragement. Like you know, the typical feedback sandwich, like, you know, it's anything, any suggestions for improvement are nicely packaged up. You never feel like you've been told you did something wrong or you're not doing it right. And yeah, I've made the most amazing friends there. And like twice, yeah, I've reached the district. And the last time it was in person, it was in Norwich. And even now the friends I have from that and obviously this time it was on Zoom, which was mm. a bit of a challenge, mm. but it was still great. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think if you're enjoying it, you know, that's the the main thing. I know many people, I know many people who are involved in Toastmasters and people go to it for different reasons. Um, um, but they all have a positive experience from it. Yeah, and I think the big thing I learned, James, when I got through to the district before, it was in a humorous contest. Mm. And I did a skit on Tinder. And for the public, I've never been on Tinder yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I did well with it, but it didn't resonate with mm. me. The mm. speech I did this time so resonated with me. And every time I delivered it, as I said, it was all online, I would turn, and when you finish speaking, you turn off your camera and your mic. Mm -hmm. I would turn off my camera usually and cry every time I did that speech because it was so emotionally charged and been able to get that across in a speech mm -hmm. was great. And, and that's a, a skill, but it's also your, your authenticity with it. Yeah. And I know there's one of the phrases that I always use in that communication space is, you know, if you're speaking from your heart, it goes to other people's hearts. Yeah. And I think that that really did happen this time mm -hmm. because so many people afterwards approached me and said, oh, my God, message in that. Oh, that so touched me. And the amount of people who said they were crying at the end of it. No, I didn't do it to make people cry, but <laughs> obviously it touched but that's it's 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 emotion, you know. And as humans, we're emotional people. I often say we're not Mr. Spock from Planet Vulcan, you know. We're emotional people. And but the word you said there, James, it's about being authentic. Yeah, that's that's what I've really. I think this has all been accumulation of those few years, and I've just realised in the last couple of weeks how my authenticity as a speaker is one of my biggest assets where I may yeah. not have thought that before yeah and it's also unique to you like no one can replicate yeah. you um and you know that's why you get that sort of cliched phrase of you know just be you um but all cliches of course are based on on truth but going back to your word earlier it requires courage to do that Oh, it does. You're 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 showing your vulnerability yeah, yeah. and uh, how would I say it um, th that sort of conversation wouldn't have taken place a few years ago because it wasn't in people's vernacular. I, I remember a little while ago, pre-COVID, doing a workshop with a group. I think they were down, down the country. And um, we were doing, you know, it was in a work scenario and we were, were doing some brainstorming around company culture and how do we want to work here and, and all of that stuff. And, and at you know, at a core level, people just want to be seen for who they are. I think there's a Maya Angelou quote in there somewhere, you know, when people, what's it, when people show you who they are, believe them. Um, but the, but uh, there was that sense of people looking for, looking to be able to show up as themselves, but also then to be recognised and acknowledged for being themselves. For being themselves. It's yeah. Recognised and acknowledged for it. And I said this to you before, James, um, that's what always... Um, inspired me about your talks, even when I've all the times have gone to soar to your mm. workshop. It's your realness, and I think I connect with people's realness too. I, yeah, I think we all do. Ultimately, we all do. Um, um, but it requires the, the courage to show up that way. And um, for, for me, 
particularly in the businessy world, there's a, you know, there's a move away from conformity or compliance in terms of, you know, this is how we've always done things. Yeah. Into the space of let's acknowledge, I suppose what is maybe a pure, a pure definition of diversity. So it's just each individual's own story, skills, competencies, personality. Um, to acknowledge that. And you have companies out there who are certainly leaning into that space. But for me, I think that's what the next few decades is all about in the, in the world of work. Yeah. I'm not going to let you go, Eileen, before you give us one or two little tips for people listening in who the thoughts of making a presentation or a speech would have them quaking in their boots. Um, a few little tips for someone who would love to be able to well, the first thing I would say is, and it's something I always say when I'm working with somebody who's nervous about it, is what do you feel in your body when you're nervous? Mm. Usually your hands are sweaty, your heart is thumping, maybe you've butterflies in your tummy, whatever. But what do you feel when you're excited? And it's the same physiological bodily responses, more or less, that mm. occur when we're excited as when we're nervous. So it can sometimes be around reframing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember when I was in Norwich waiting to be called up, I was at the back of the room, mic on, ready to go. And I kept saying to myself, I'm so excited. <laughs> and it bounced up on the stage that day. You know, so that's one thing I would say. And I think that's that's a very, I suppose it's a very important one. The other one is just do you. Mm. If you can, it's just do you. Mm. And if you're really nervous, it's to, to, to reach out to somebody, whether it's Toastmasters, whether it's somebody who, you know, like us, who is in that area, to mm. reach out to somebody. And, you know, like, for example, I've had a client recently and what I did with, with her was I, I invited her to come. We had done some work, but I invited her to come and listen to me doing mm. a talk there a few weeks ago. And I said, because she was been told she wasn't real enough. She was very, what would you say, rehearsed or whatever. Right. Mm. And I, I'm a great one. I learn by watching and by seeing other people. Mm. And yeah, so they, they would be my tips. Um, know your audience, obviously. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many, but I think... Could but, on, yeah. uh, but I think that one to do with the sensations in the body is yes. absolutely top of the list because, as I often say to the people I work with in this area, you know, we, we experience, say, delivering the talk or the presentation through the filter of our own emotions or our own sensations. Oh. The audience listening to you do not care how you're feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember it there for a minute is, I'm thinking more of if you're in a group and you're getting up to speak or yeah. a contest is remember that anxiety is contagious. Yeah. So if you're there and other people are also waiting to speak and they're saying, yeah. oh my God, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. Yeah. Move yourself away from the yeah. middle, get yeah. a drink of water, yeah. get fresh air. Yeah, yeah, so true. But then the opposite, of course, is also true. So whatever emotion you're dominant in when you're speaking will also be contagious to the group. Yeah, well, do you know what I've done before these these last few contests? Mm. I turn off, your camera's off until you speak. Right. So I went to the other room 
and I put on meatloaf, bat out of hell, and I bop away for five minutes. There you go. There you go. That's my secret out now. There's the real tip. And you know what's fascinating with that? Because, you know, if I put my interview skills hat on for a minute, and most interviews nowadays take place um, online, so if I'm helping to to work with someone prepare for an interview, their interview is going to be via Zoom or Teams. And if they're working from home, they're going to be at the desk you know, a lot of the time they're sitting down. So, of course, we have the phrase, we think on our feet, Eileen. So I'll often say to them beforehand, you know, don't just be sitting at the desk waiting for it to happen. Go off somewhere else, put in your earphones, dance around the place, do star jumps, do whatever. And then with about three minutes to go, sit back down, do some conscious breathing. So you'll bring the energy back in but what, and ground yourself. But of course, what you're doing there is you're getting rid of the, the static energy in the body that has no place to go yeah you know that the fight and flight scenario or the adrenaline whatever so that's a really helpful tip as well (laughs) oh goodness we could chat all day i think we have to move towards close and the quick fire round as i phrase it although that's a misnomer because we'll probably go off on a few tangents and that's fine too the um uh what's your most cherished possession my most cherished Cherished possession is my necklace, which I'm wearing at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's an Alan Ardif necklace, um, and it's called Key to Your Heart. And I got that in December 2013 mm-hmm. at a time in my life that a lot of stuff, for want of a better word, was coming up that I needed to deal with, mm-hmm. especially, you know, personal stuff yeah. in therapy. And I knew that I was going to need to open my heart in a lot of ways to to some of the stuff. Mm. And this has been like my, I'm even holding it now, which you can't see. Anytime I have any difficulty or a happy time, I'll hold it. It's it's my little, my precious little. Yeah, it's a real anchor. If my house was burnt down, I'd have to have this. It's never off. It's never off. Lovely, lovely. Um, Listening to you, of course, is inspiring, Eileen. But what what inspires you? What inspires me? Children. Okay. Children inspire me because I suppose a lot of my work was with children. Children have the ability to live in the moment. Mm. If you see a child, especially a small child, three or four year old, and they're playing, they're not worrying about what's for dinner. They're not worrying about going to Granny's the next day or going anywhere. Or what other people think about them. what other people think. They're in that space, in that moment. Mm. And, you know, I think, like, you know, kids up to the age of six, their brains are like that little sponge. They soak up everything. But they just, the resilience to, like, you know, working with, with children, um, you know, a child would be upset. Maybe you go to them and maybe you're doing a dressing or a procedure that's scary. Yeah. Um, they're looking at you as if you're a monster for those few minutes. But a couple of minutes later, they're all over you again. Yeah. yeah you know, and yeah. they're just so trusting, so... Yeah, just amazing. Full of, full of love. What, what I find interesting or what I found fascinating was in the psychotherapy work that I was, was doing as a client. And you'll be well familiar with concept oh. of inner child. And, yes. um, and there's that old phrase, you know, when the, when the inner child is, is healed, the adult appears. But, but what I found was in some inner child work that I was doing, 
Mm. Um, it wasn't me healing the inner child. It was the inner child healing me as the and adult. We have that, you know. Yeah. And we learn to love that, that inner child. We all have that. Yeah. And, you know, we can do it together. You're not, you're never on your own doing something because you have that party. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a past guest, uh, Mary Dunn, who had a wonderful quote where she said, you know, we're, we're all, we're, we're, we're all the ages we've ever been. Yeah. Um, which reminds us me a, a bit of like the rings on a tree, you know, to get the age yeah. of the tree. We've, we've all of them still within us. What, what's something, speaking of learning, what's, com- what's something that you're currently reading or enjoying or learning? I'm currently reading a book by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Oh, okay. What happened to you? And it's, oh, it's, it's, it's conversations on trauma, resilience and healing. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a new book. That's very new, I think. very new. Like, what it is, it's challenging us to shift our focus from asking the question, what's wrong with you? Or why are you behaving this way? Mm. Asking, what happened to you? And even as I say that, do you notice how much more compassionate that question is? Yeah. You know, and... Yeah, it's it's brilliant. I've I've really I've only maybe about twenty pages read, but already I love it. Yeah, and I love those books because it's a bit like I want to savor the pages. I'm not rushing through them. I love when I get a book like that. Yeah. I want to underline and savor. Um, uh, here's a, here's an interesting one, Eileen. What's something that maybe at the time you saw as a failure or a setback, but that with hindsight now you can see as a blessing in disguise? Well, I think undoubtedly leaving nursing. Right. It was at the time, I, like as I said, when I started the coaching, feeling so ashamed that I wasn't working. Everybody had a role, everybody had a job and thinking how different I was and realising, you know, as time went on, that it was such a good decision. Another one that I would have seen as a failure, and it was the, one of the best things I ever did, James, was to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Like I have been going to therapy for about six, seven years on and off. And I never told people that I was going to therapy uh, for years. I'd always say I had a meeting. And when I did my interview for PCI College for my degree in psychotherapy, Mm -hmm. one of the first questions was, have you ever been to therapy? And I remember thinking, they've caught me now. Mm -hmm. But I said, yes, I have. And I remember the lecturer saying to me, you will be fine at this. So Mm -hmm. and from that day on, I would always say, oh, I have my therapy today. Mm -hmm. So that was absolutely, you know, in the beginning, I thought it was a sign of weakness in me that I needed to do it. Now it's one of the best things I've ever done. Yes. And a sign of courage. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. The um, last piece. um, What's if you had a motto or a favorite quote or words that guide or inspire you, Eileen, what would they be? Like there's a few things come to me, but I think the one that's really resonates with me is it's a quote that I heard uh, at a keynote speaker at a Toastmasters conference two years ago. And it's called, or it goes like this. Is there any reason you can't? Okay. And it's this lady, her name is Eldana Lewis Fernandez. And I think she's a few books. One of them was called Think Like a Negotiator. But like over the last couple of years since I heard that, especially I have a friend who I would do some work with, Siobhan, and we would always say to each other, 
is there any reason we can't? And even in the contests, I kept saying that to myself. And it's a question I often ask clients now. And it's a hard question to answer in the negative. Mm, it's very powerful. Isn't it's it? not one. It's not one I've come across before, Eileen. I've scribbled it down. <laughs> come across it. I really is. Is there any reason you can't? Because, yeah, what, what's going on for me when I hear that is, you know, when we get into our place of alignment, or we tune inwards, and we connect with our soul, or we connect with the best of ourselves, you know, that's a space of creativity and possibility. But yeah. very quickly, the brain will then pop up with the with the yes, buts, yes, but yes, but yes, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas that one is like, it's almost like you're, you're looking to legitimize evidence that are factual stuff that would prevent you doing something you want to do. And, and you know, when we use yeah. that, yeah, but it's essentially, it's negating what can be for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're taking away our own power in lots of ways. Yeah. So what I'm taking from that is when the yes buts pop up, it's like, okay, hold on now, James. Is there any reason you can't, which makes it look more factual and rational as opposed yeah. to just a knee jerk emotive response, response. Yeah. powerful yeah. words powerful yeah. Eileen oh my goodness we're going to have to wrap up let me share again your contact details so the, the mothership is the website eileenhopkins.ie and then on Instagram it's ehopkinstherapycoach uh, LinkedIn Eileen Hopkins and then Facebook is the same if you stick Eileen Hopkins in you'll pop up on, on and James I want to do this every week I have such a <laughs> Day, honestly, <laughs> the my as regular listeners to the podcast will know, and I know you're a regular listener too. Yes. I think the um, my intention is is always clear going into it, which is to have an enjoyable conversation, which this certainly was, Absolutely. and to maybe share some tips or insights or personal experiences with with people who are tuned in. Where and I think it's important for for those of us who are in this space to to acknowledge that, you know, it's not about positivity and optimism and inspiration and motivation all the time. I mean, we still have to do the work, you know, there's still the, you know, the self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, then, you know, the negativity, the victimhood, like we all do it. It's part of the, the human makeup. Um, and to acknowledge that and to have a conversation there, because I think if you don't, there's that sense of, what is it? What's that phrase? Toxic positivity, yeah. which is is not <laughs> well. It's not real, you know. Like it's 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 what was that you had said earlier? Like just be you, but it's every aspect of you. Oh, yeah. um, and and I know one of the things that I've learned in the last little while, and I know you would agree with this, Eileen, is to acknowledge and be compassionate towards the parts of me that maybe I don't really like. You know, the part of me who does the yes buts or the part of me who does imposter syndrome or the part of me who does perfectionism or worries excessively. But just to acknowledge that and to and to give a little bit of love and compassion to the part of me who runs those patterns. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Eileen, thank you again. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you for giving of your time and your experience and your, your tips of wisdom. I've certainly taken plenty of notes as you were speaking. And, um, uh, and I'm delighted that you were, you were able to join us this week. Thanks so much, James. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. 
So my thanks again to Eileen Hopkins. Let me just give you her, her email one more time. It's eileenhopkins.ie. And as I say, she's on the other main social media platforms as well. So do give her a follow or a, a reach out to her. If you enjoyed this week's episode or you know of someone who might take benefit from it, feel free to share it on social media or give it a little thumbs up or um, um, a comment on the social media platform where you listen in. Um, my name is James Sweetman. More information about me is available on my website, jamesweetman.com. And of course, there you can access all of the, the previous um, episodes. I think there's over 110 of them uh, now. So my thanks again to Eileen for, for a wonderful conversation this week. And until next time.